good morning. Good to see you today. Welcome home. We are so glad that you're here today. If you are new this morning here in Pittsburgh or in Columbus today, my name is Kyle and we are so glad that you're here today. We are, we've been in a, this series called It's Complicated, What Relationship Isn't for a Minute Now. And we've really covered a lot of ground over the last few weeks and been dealing with different relationships that we have in our life that can be complicated at times. And we've talked about in this series that when we think of complicated, you know, it was probably a little bit complicated, whether you're in Columbus or Pittsburgh today, just getting here today because of the rain, man. We've just, I didn't know if you came in boats today uh, or if you swam here, but we just had all kinds of rain and it's just complicated maybe for you to get here. But we've been talking about complicated in this series and we've been looking at how complicated a lot of times isn't necessarily negative or unhealthy, but simply interconnected parts or elements. And we've been saying that God's plan for our life, if you're new today, or as a reminder for some of us who've been here uh, over this series, that really what God wants us to do with complicated is not to avoid it, but to successfully navigate it. See, in other words, what God's plan for our life is with complicated relationships is to navigate those faithfully rather than just simply avoid those fearfully. That's what we've been talking about in this series. And you know, sometimes that's difficult, right? Sometimes it's even difficult with God. That's what we talked about in the first week of this series. Sometimes our relationship with God can be healthy, but sometimes we want answers to things and we don't always get those answers. And we looked at how we're supposed to trust God even when God keeps things a mystery. Like lately, you might be hearing people say, man, why is it raining so much? How come there's just so much rain going on? You know, it's a mystery. It's just like a crazy amount of rain. And then there's other things in our life that are even more important. Why does bad thing, why do bad things happen to good people? You know, and of course we know there's no one good except God, but it's, it's still a question that we ask. Why do things happen to people? What do we do when God keeps things a mystery. So we tackled that topic in the first week. And then the next week, Pastor Adam, our discipleship pastor for both campuses here in Pittsburgh and Columbus, he unpacked that sometimes we have a complicated relationship with ourself. I mean, self-identity can be complicated, right? Sometimes we think too much of ourselves or some of us think too low of ourselves. But the reality is, is if we believe in who God says that we are, over what anyone else says, including ourselves, we get to the right idea and concept of who God says we're supposed to be. See, we don't have to think that we're, you know, this lofty person who no one wants to be around. We all know people like that. And we also don't have to walk around hanging our heads because when we believe that God says that we are a child of His, we can start to see ourselves and other people through that lens. Amen? And so that's what we unpacked uh, in week two. And then in week three on Mother's Day, we talked about family. God's plan for families isn't a secret recipe, but it is a specific recipe found in Ephesians 5 and 6. And we unpacked that, what that looked like. Family relationships can be complicated, amen? They can be extremely complicated. 
In fact, in my own family, as a pastor, there's been times where I'll say something to my wife, and she's like, you're not just my pa- you're not really my pastor, you're my husband. I'm like, well, that's kind of complicated, because <laughs> you, you do go to my church, so, I mean, she's like, don't be doing that with me, you're my husband, right? <laughs> and sometimes, you know, I might do that with one of my kids, and like, you're my dad, okay? You're also my pastor, but you're my dad. It's complicated, and your relationships with your family is complicated. But it's not a, it's not a, a secret recipe. The Bible lays out a specific recipe for how we're to, to love each other in those complicated relationships. And then in week four, Pastor Sean was in Columbus and did a great job with this. And Pastor Dylan, who used to be the youth pastor here, he unpacked expectations with other people because that can be real complicated. In fact, I would even venture to say that some probably 90-some percent of the reasons that we don't get along maybe with our boss or our, or employees or a family member or a friend or our neighbor that lives across the street or whoever is because we don't necessarily have God's expectations. We have our own expectations, and that could be an entire series. But we said we've got to allow God to set the expectations for other people in our life. That's such a good one. Let's read it together in both campuses. Allow God to set the expectations for the other people in our life. Man, that is a big one. And today, to make it a little bit more complicated, we're going to talk about church this morning. In fact, the family of God can be complicated. The family of God can be complicated. Say that with me. The family of God can be complicated. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. If you have your Bibles or the Version app, you can go to Matthew chapter 20. We're going to be looking at the first 16 verses. But I got to thinking about different ways, and obviously this isn't an exhaustive list, but different ways that the church sometimes can be complicated for people. You know, these are just a few, but one of the ways that is maybe we have a history at someone who attends the church, right? Well, you know, I don't want to go to that church because my ex-husband goes to that church. Or I don't want to go to that church because this person in town, I know what they did 10 years ago, and that complicates it for me. Which, by the way, where are they supposed to go? Everybody that we have a bad relationship with just can't come to church because we do, Right? But even though that's correct, we still get it's complicated sometimes, right? That's, that's one way that, that relationships can be complicated in the church. Maybe we had a bad experience at church when we used to attend somewhere. In fact, if you've ever invited someone to church, if you do that very much at all, you know that there's times where I don't go to church. Why? I had a bad experience, right? We all know people like that. I had a bad experience. That takes place. We don't understand where all the new people are coming from. Even healthy churches that are growing, like in Columbus or here in Pittsburgh. Where's all these new people? I don't even know who they are. They're sitting in my chair. That's complicated, right? Now, I know none of us think that. I know none of you in Columbus think that. But there are churches like that. Get out of my chair. And that's complicated for the new person. And that makes it complicated for you. We feel like no one pays attention to us. All right? That sometimes happens in church. You know... The pastor, he doesn't, he doesn't spend enough time with me. He doesn't, you know, come see me. And that can be complicated. Because if there's a lot of people, it's complicated for the pastor. And it can be complicated for us because maybe we have needs. That's why small groups are important. I'll just give a plug there. That can be complicated. Okay? We want the church to be more friendly. Here's, here's complicated and tense at the same time. You ready? 
we want the church to be more friendly, but we ain't friendly. Right? <laughs> Come on, let, let's give, up, give it up on that one, right? Yeah, you all know that. That can happen sometimes. Well, you know, I want a friend, but I'm not going to be no one's friend, right? We can do that as a body of people. We want the church to be more friendly and welcoming. But we ain't going to be no welcoming. We're not going to be friendly. And that's complicated for the pastor. And that's complicated for the people that are coming in. Well, we have a, you know, we have a us mentality instead of a, you know, a, a us together mentality, right? It's that we become this us and them mentality instead of together mentality. We, we see someone who doesn't look like us or doesn't smell like us or, or doesn't talk like us. And all of a sudden it's us versus them instead of together. It's complicated. Did you know, even if you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and people you go to church with are the same way. It still is complicated at times, isn't it? Because we're human beings. Did you know that? You're human, and 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 you're human. Newsflash, you guys are human too, right? We're all human, and because we're human, we make mistakes, we do things we shouldn't do, and it makes things complicated. Let's say complicated together. Complicated. So I want to unpack a scripture. It's actually a parable. Jesus talked a lot in parables. It was always a parable is like a a fictional story that had a divine truth in it. And there's a parable in Matthew chapter 20. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 16 where Jesus unpacks what the kingdom of heaven culture looks like. In other words, what it's supposed to look like for the family of God, right? Have you ever noticed sometimes in your own personal family or maybe, you know, in, in a relationship at work or wherever you're at, but specifically in a family where someone's hurting, but you're hurting so bad that you can't really see how someone else is hurting? This is kind of what this parable is talking a little bit about in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Jesus is answering Peter's question about what it takes to get to heaven and who's the greatest. And and he begins to unpack in this parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like this landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. So obviously there's a big harvest that's taking place. And he's trying to illustrate what the church is supposed to be like, what the kingdom of heaven is supposed to be like, how Jews and Gentiles back then were supposed to treat each other because they didn't really like each other. But Jesus was trying to paint a different picture. And so as he's painting this picture, he uses the idea of workers in a harvest field. He says that, you know, that the kingdom is like this. People, the landowner goes out and he gets up maybe about six o'clock in the morning. He goes out and he looks around and he sees there's people not doing anything in the marketplace. And he says, you know what? I'm going to hire them for my vineyard. So he agrees to pay them a normal day's wage. In fact, if you study this a little bit, he even pays them what a Roman soldier would get paid in a day's work. So it's a good quality wage, which is about one denarius back then. And they agree to do that. So he says, I'll pay you one one, uh, denarius. You, You start right now. So they went out to work. After a while, the landowner realized that the, the harvest fields were really ripe and there was a lot to bring in and, and they needed more folks, more people to work that harvest field. And so these 6 a.m. workers, they're out in the field doing their thing and, and, and he goes back to the marketplace. 
He looks around and there's people, they ain't working. They're not doing anything. They're just hanging out on Facebook and Instagram, right? Just doing nothing, okay? And he goes, he goes to him about, he goes back to the marketplace. It was about nine o'clock. He tells him, he says, hey, would you come work in my harvest field and I'll pay whatever is right at the end of the day. Whatever is right. Say that with me. Whatever is right. Whatever is right. So the 9 a.m. crew gets to going. They're working. Now you got the 6 a.m. crew. You got the 9 a.m. crew. But man, there's so much harvest out there. There is so much harvest out there. And he realizes that, you know what? I don't have enough workers. So he goes out there back to the marketplace at 12 and then again at 3 And quitting time was about 6 o'clock, but he even goes out an hour before closing time and recruits people and tells everybody the same thing he told the 9 a.m. crew. I'll pay you whatever is right. So for those of us who are fair, right, raise your hand if you're about fair and just, right? Black and white, what's right is right and what's fair is fair. So for those of us who are accountants and math people and just people that want to know, all right, he, he decides that evening has come and, and it's time to pay up. And group one, they work 12 hours. Group two works nine hours. Group three works six hours. Group four works three hours. And, and group five, I don't know if they slept in when the other groups were, were you know, working or, or what. But whatever happened, group five just worked an hour. So... The landowner says, hey, you know, it's quitting time. I want you to call all the workers together and settle up with them and just pay, you know, just pay the, the, the 5 p.m. workers first and then just go on down. So when those that got hired at 5 p.m. were paid, they were, they were excited because they worked an hour in the harvest field and they got paid a full day's wage. That's pretty good. I mean, that's a good deal. That's when I'm going to go back to that field. And then they just kind of started paying everybody, right? They paid the, the 3 p.m. workers the full wage, and they paid the, the 12 p.m. worker the full wage, and the 9 a.m. workers the full wage, and they got down to the 6 a.m. workers. You know, they'd been, they'd been toiling for the landowner the longest. And, you know, you kind of assume things sometimes. We talked about expectations, when we have expectations that maybe aren't the same as God's. See, because we try to put God in a, in a math box, don't we? We did a series a while back called, you know, ignore the math and follow the master because God doesn't work the way we do. He doesn't think like we do. And these 6 a.m. workers come in and they're expecting to get a little something more. Back scripture says when those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a full day's wage. And when they received their pay, they I don't know who it was, maybe it was maybe it was Willie or, or Jimmy or, or John or somebody, they said, Man, this ain't right. If they're going to get a full day's wage, which is what we agreed to, we need something else. In fact, scripture says they protested. Maybe they had signs, picket signs that said, we ain't going to take this, right? Those people who only worked an hour got paid just as much as all of us did, who worked all day 
in the scorching heat. Everybody say scorching heat. Scorching heat, right? I mean, they're out in the field. Ain't no trees. Probably didn't even get a water break. Make the story sound better. They're out there in the field getting stuff. They're, they're beyond sunburned. They're tired. They're hungry. And the landowner says, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you, didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. The landowner said, I wanted to pay. I wanted to pay. Let's say that together in both locations. I wanted to pay. I wanted to pay those 5 p.m. workers. The same as you. Now that's complicated. Jesus was always complicating things for people. Not because he was doing something wrong, but because he was stretching people on what the kingdom of God was about. And sometimes God will stretch us beyond what we what we're comfortable with. And the landowner says, is, is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I want, because I'm kind to others? I was kind to you. You didn't have a job. You weren't doing anything. I came by and I found you and I put you to work doing something. Not just anything, making a wage and, and, and giving yourself some satisfaction here. And instead of being grateful, you're jealous because I'm kind to someone else. And the landowner says, so those who are last now will, will, will be first then and those who are first will be last. That's what Jesus told them. So those who are last now will be first then and those who are first will be last. So here we have this story that's really hard to understand. Just be honest with you. Raise your hand right here in both locations if you think that's a little bit unfair on paper. All right, I'll put my hand in there. It seems a little bit unfair from a logical perspective. But what Jesus was trying to explain to, to them was that when it comes to salvation in the kingdom of God, Jesus is the landowner. And that 6 a.m. worker is those of us who've been saved for a minute. Maybe we're church board members. Maybe we, we volunteer at the church. Maybe we know the Bible backwards and forwards and we've been you know, toiling in the scorching heat when there wasn't a full group of people here, when there wasn't two locations, when, when things were different. You remember when things were different and you've been toiling since 6 a.m., And it almost feels like we've earned a little bit more than everybody else. Jesus is saying, rather than thinking we're entitled, we should be grateful that the Lord has saved us and recognize that there's a place in the vineyard for all God's people. Amen? So I thought, well, what would happen if Jesus was here today? Because Jesus was the best at taking what was going on at the time and, and, and customizing it for us. 
So let's just talk about this parable today in terms of 2019. Let's pretend that you and your neighbor both have credit card debt. You got $10 trillion in credit card debt, okay? All right, maybe your wife went out and bought a bunch of purses, okay? Or, or, or your husband spent a bunch on a, a speedboat and some other stuff. Anyway, you just next thing you know, you both owe $10, 10 trillion. At the same time that you and your friend or your neighbor owes $10 trillion, you both work for a farmer who pays you $20 an hour. Let's also pretend that you both work for a farmer who pays you this $20 an hour and you both get paid at the end of the day, just like in Jesus' story. You work 12 hours and your neighbor works one hour. And before taxes, that's important, before taxes, your gross, not your net, your gross income is $240 And your neighbor who just worked an hour, his gross income or her gross income is 20 bucks. So you got $20 to put towards that 10 trillion. And your neighbor who worked 12 hours, they got $240 to put towards that $10 trillion on paper. So let's just be real. Your your hours, you earn 220 more. 220 more. Say that with me. 200. You can do a lot with 220 bucks compared to 20 bucks. But when you settle up, your boss doesn't pay you more than the neighbor. Mm-hmm. He pays you both $10 trillion. Now, here's my question. You work 12 more hours. After you and your neighbor both get checks for $10 trillion, should you ask for your boss for the extra 220 bucks? That's a dumb question, isn't it? Because whether it's $20 or $240, both numbers are so ridiculously short of $10 trillion, it doesn't matter. Folks, what Jesus is trying to say to us in this parable is that if we start getting prideful about how long we've been coming to church Hey, I'm 42 years old. I was in the church before I was born. I mean, when my mom was pregnant with me, we were in church. I've been a pastor for 18 years. I haven't read the Bible all the way through the way some of you have, but I've read the whole Bible just not sitting down and reading it all the way through. And then you take someone who's like the thief on the cross, maybe, maybe before they pass away, they're on their deathbed, and, and they, they accept salvation. What Jesus is saying, you're 18 years as a pastor and being in church your whole life, and you over here who doesn't know anything about the Bible and just received Christ, both y'all ain't anywhere close to covering the debt that you both owe. See, God doesn't give us what we earn. He gifts us what we could never earn. God does not give us what we earn. I earn $240. Yo, 10 trillion. 
I served in ministry my whole life. I've been in this church since it opened over on 4th Street. I've been at Connecting Point since the very beginning. I was, I was in the small group that, that started it. Great. Instead of complaining about things changing or, or it not being how you want it, why don't we go out and find more workers? Why don't we go out and find people who need Jesus? Because it's all about Him. See, when we have a kingdom of heaven mindset, it changes the way we see people. It changes the way that we worship. It changes how we worship. It changes everything. When we walk through the doors of this building or in Columbus or Monday morning at our job and we start living, realizing that God doesn't give us what we earn. He gifts us what we can never earn. All of a sudden we become really grateful. And breast cancer doesn't matter anymore. And bad cancer reports don't matter anymore. And your husband not being the person that you'd like him to be doesn't matter because you have a gift in Jesus Christ that you didn't otherwise have. Your wife isn't who you want him to be. Your friends isn't who you want him to be. You're not, you don't have enough people in your life that are pouring into you. And you can just get down. But when you have a mindset that says, God doesn't give me what I earn and what I deserve. He gifts me eternal life. He gifts me the Holy Spirit. He gifts me his peace and his, that passes all understanding. All of a sudden now, that changes things. And you want to know something else? I'm just kind of preaching today. Dylan was here last week in Pittsburgh. Maybe I'm just rubbing off on me a little bit. Those in Columbus, Dylan, Dylan is the preacher. You want to know something else? If Christians, come on, if Christians would start living that out, you'd see more people at church. Amen. I know that's right. But we walk around defeated and we walk around singing songs like we don't believe it. God is good. You had $240 and you owed 220 or you owed $10 trillion. You had $20. You're the thief on the cross and you owed $10 trillion. It doesn't make a difference. Jesus came and paid away so that you could have relationship with him. And when you live that out, people say, I want some of that. Say that with me. I want some of that. Let's say it together. I want some of that. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin, whether it's $240 and you've been out in the field all your whole lifetime, you've read the Bible through a hundred times, you know every Bible story there is. You start your day off just in the presence of Jesus or you wake up every day and you're just trying to make it through the day and, and you don't read your Bible enough. Jesus says both of those people, when it comes to earning their salvation, fall up short. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. The gift of God. Thank you, TJ. She said the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Can I get an amen? Amen. 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 You know, sometimes what will, will take away our joy, because let's just be honest. 
even though we know those things, it's real easy sometimes for us to tally count, for us just to... You ever seen somebody who... Their parents, on their birthday, they buy them a gift and they buy their siblings a gift because, you know, everybody needs a gift instead of just giving it to the one who's got the birthday, right? We, it's like we tally count. Well, you know, this one doesn't have it, but this one, let's just give it to them both. We just, it's like we compare, and we do that in the church. We spend so much time wishing that we were somebody else or we could sing like somebody else or we could talk like somebody else or we could be married to that somebody else or we could have what they have or we could drive what they have. Let me tell you something. Comparison will lead to jealousy every single time. Comparison will always lead to jealousy and fractured relationships in the vineyard and in the church Stop comparing yourself to someone else's walk with God. They ain't you, and you ain't them. And they don't have your story, and you don't have their story. And God, you know, sometimes we have things that happen in our life, and it's not because we were born like that. We created that. So if you created the mess, let God walk you out of that mess as you live for him. But sometimes God will give out certain gifts, certain ways, and, 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 and he called us at 6 a.m., and then all of a sudden somebody else walks in, and, and you've been singing on the praise band the whole time for the last 20 years, and all of a sudden somebody just walks in, and they're singing more than you, and you start comparing. That's just one example. You know, something that's not of God, I'm going to go ahead and say this, is it frustrates me sometimes when something in your life isn't working out, but someone else has a, has a win, and you can't celebrate that win. You can't even like their post. You can't even comment and say congratulations. You can't even tell them they're, you know, they look nice or, or, or whatever it could be that, that you notice about them because you can't get past yourself. The kingdom of God is not about you and it's not about me. It's about us. And we've got to start celebrating when people have things going on in their life that are great rather than sitting around saying, man, I wish that was like it for me. And then we wonder why there's churches all over the place closing and no one's coming because they're not living out the kingdom of God. See, the kingdom of God, God's love is so big that even when our child is sick or maybe we lose a child, we can still rejoice when someone else has a child. That's a tough one, isn't it? That's complicated. I haven't lost a child. It's easy for me to say that. See, when you can't find a job and you're looking for one, but somebody else found a job, can we not celebrate? Is that the kingdom of God? Or we just can't say congratulations because you know what? It ain't happening for me.
Satan uses subtleties with church people. If you're a new person today, you're off the hook. But for us that have been in the church for a minute, Satan doesn't, doesn't use strategies that, that we see coming. It's the subtle things. Oh, great. They get to go on vacation. I can't afford a vacation. I ain't going to like that post. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Oh, they got a new car? I ain't ever got a new car. I ain't liking that. I ain't going to tell them congratulations. Oh, they found somebody they love and care about? I haven't. Comparison will always lead to jealousy. Jesus is saying, should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? You're complaining about your 220 because you're focused on the 240. And Jesus said, why don't you focus on the 10 trillion that I took away? See, these 6 a.m. church workers, and I'm going to be honest, I put myself in that category. A 6 a.m. church worker, that person that's been in the field since 6 o'clock, I've been in the, in, the, in the field my whole life. Sometimes my parents wanted me to be there. Sometimes I wanted to be there, but I've been there the whole time, and i got to watch out for pride, and some of us do as well. 6 a.m. church workers, watch out for pride. It's so easy to start basing our walk with God on the things we've accomplished And Jesus says, just be grateful. Take what you made, what you served, and go get some more people. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. It's quiet in here. I don't know if it's quiet in Columbus, but I'm assuming it is. So here's a, here's a question. Are we giving mercy and compassion generously to all workers, people who are following Jesus, or are we selective based on if they've been working the same amount of time as us? Are you giving mercy and compassion generously or selectively to the audience of that day? What Jesus was saying is, hey, Jews, are you just are you just basically being compassionate to Jews? Are you being compassionate to Jews and Gentiles? Hey, Gentiles, are you going to be being compassionate to Gentiles? Are you being compassionate to Gentiles and Jews? And hey, church. Are you giving mercy to people who come from a different social background than you, make a different amount of money than you do, don't smell like you do, have stuff all over the body called tattoos, maybe you don't. Maybe you don't even agree with their lifestyle. You don't have to agree with someone to be nice to them. My mom used to say all the time, it doesn't take a college degree to be nice to someone. They will know we are Christians by our judgment, by how we look down at them. No, 
They will know we are Christians by our love. By our, Columbus, by our love, right? Are you given mercy and compassion generously or selectively? If you're not, I got one action step for all of us that would help all of us today, myself included. Every time that we start to think that we're earning it, we need to realize that we didn't earn anything. Jesus is the one that earned it. And we just simply need to be thankful. Just be thankful. Your kid doesn't have to hit a home run over the fence for you to feel like your kid's succeeding. Your child doesn't have to get the best grades in the world for you to be thankful that they're your child. Your husband doesn't have to remember your birthday every time the way that such and such as husband does for you to be thankful for your husband. We don't always have to have a clean cancer report to be thankful that Jesus died for us. Amen. So this morning, what would happen at Pitt Naz Church in Pittsburgh, Kansas, and Connecting Point Church in Columbus, Kansas, if a whole bunch of people just started being thankful? They were thankful when they walked in here, or they walked in Columbus, and the worship started. They were thankful. What would happen if we were thankful? What would happen at work on Monday morning when you go to work if you're thankful that you have a job and that God has provided for you and you walk through the door and you have to deal with your boss who's got some issues? What would happen if you started being thankful? What would happen in the midst of your doctor's report that ain't the best if you just attacked every day saying, I'm thankful? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Let's stand in both locations today. I'm just going to simply have you bow your heads and close your eyes in both locations. I trust today that the Holy Spirit's talking to you. I don't need to spend another three or four minutes trying to get you to, to see what the Holy Spirit's probably all revealing to you, already revealing to you. If you realize there's some areas in your life that you need to be more thankful for, would you just tell God what those are right now with every head bowed and every eye closed? If you told God what those are and you said today, God, I'm going to choose an attitude of gratitude. If If you've made that choice, with every head bowed and every eye closed in Columbus and Pittsburgh, if you made that choice today, would you just slip your hand up real quick? God, you see those hands in Columbus. You see those hands in Pittsburgh. Father, thank you today that we can choose an attitude of gratitude because you paid a debt we could never pay. Father, may we be about recruiting more and more people to receive your salvation and receive, Lord, the joy that comes in living for the Lord. In Jesus' name, all God's people in Columbus and Pittsburgh said, amen, amen. Let's worship in both locations.